today. Is everybody awake with your extra hour? Yes? And extra coffee, too. We still have coffee in the lobby. Those of you guys that are worshiping online at home, hopefully you have an extra pot that's brewing, too. But I'm so grateful to have you all. And it, it may feel like it's like March outside here in Pennsylvania, but I'm, I'm embracing it because the snow is coming. I'm going to be shoveling soon. Yeah, y'all laugh, right? So, um, so welcome. I'm glad you're here, especially if you're a first-time guest visitor. Uh, glad to have you today. Um, so I want to start off with a little bit of a story. Um, those of you who, who know a little bit of my background, I was um, in the career of environmental and marine science before God messed up all my plans and called me into ministry. What's with that, right? And, um, and I was doing research on the eastern shore of Maryland, outside of like where Ocean City is, if you've ever been over there, Assateague, Chincoteague, that kind of area. I was doing some research over there on water quality, um, and part of that research involved going to several streams that were in that region and collecting little vials of water that I would then take back to the lab and analyze for what all the stuff that's in it that comes off the land. Well, that was part of my project, and I had to do something like about 30 different streams, 30 different locations. And of course, not all in the same day. They had to be at different times, to different rains that would come. And the one day um, I was needing to go out and sample, take some of the samples, and I tried to get a friend of mine to come with me. That was usually what we did. We would take one of our vehicles out from the lab and drive to the streams, buddy up together. That's the safe thing to do. Well, my friend was not available, and neither were any of the other lab techs or anybody else that was there. So. I decided I would go by my lonesome out to these streams in the middle of nowhere, and I was going to be collecting these samples, and you know how that story would go. Um, pulled up on the side of this one stream, and there was an overpass there. Once again, middle of nowhere. There's like not a car probably the whole time that I was uh, there. So I get out, get my little waders on. You guys know what waders are right, for like fly fishing. Well, anyway, we use them in the environmental science stuff. So I get my waders on, my boots on, we go down to the stream, and you have to kind of go out in the middle of the stream because you don't want like all the mud stuff on the side of the stream. You want kind of a clear sample. So I take a couple steps out, and I take one step, and all of a sudden, squish. And my other foot kind of slipped because it's a little slippery, and I go squish. And I'm looking, and I'm like, okay, let me get my sample, scoop up my sample, and then, uh-oh, the mud was literally up to, like, past my knees at that point. I was sinking, not quicksand, thank God for that. But I realized at that point I had my sample, but I was stuck. I was stuck in the mud and with waders on. Like, you can't just, like, easily step out of that or do... So I'm looking, I'm under the overpass, Look up, there's like a truck that went by. I'm like waving, he waved back. <laughs> and I'm like, oh boy, this is not good. And of course, I did have a cell phone, but guess where that was? In the car, yes! I'm like, this could end bad. What a way to go, right? Stuck in the mud, just sitting there in the middle of nowhere. I don't know what's going to happen. So eventually, I realized I was going to have to get out of the waiter's. And these are expensive things if you've ever bought them. So I unbuckle the, the top part and kind of pull my foot out. Fortunately, I was able, they were a little bit big, so I was able to slip my foot out. And then, of course, the back step, right, into what? More mud. 
but at least it wasn't sinky mud, it was normal mud. So I took it, fortunately, a step out, and, and the waiters were still standing there, and I have like my sock feet, but I'm sinking into the mud, and I go back, and, and I go back to the car, and I'm like, what do I do now, right? Leave the boots there, like somebody gonna drive by and say, what happened to them, right? <laughs> like, that's not good. And meanwhile, like, I mean, I was covered in mud, like the socks, the, 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 the you know, my pants, just, just everything. Well, I decided all hope was lost. I was going to leave the waiters there, but the precious thing that I got was my sample. Yes, to take back to the lab. But I remember standing there at that point and figuring out, like, what do I do? Like, I just want to, like, leave that mess there. Like, I can't pull those things out. I couldn't get myself out. I need to get somebody else to come out and try to figure out where that is. And, and, and it was kind of like I just wanted to walk away from all of it. <laughs> and in a sense, I did. I got back into that car and drove back home and told somebody about my story. Eventually, they got the waiters out. But I just wanted to walk away. And, and I think just along those lines, I think all of us, have been part of a mess at some point that we've just wanted to walk away from. How messy it was. It felt like you were stuck in it. But every once in a while, and maybe even right now, every once in a while, and even right now, you also tend to see someone else who has made a mess of something in their life that also makes you want to walk away and ignore it and drive by and wave and, and, and just look at them and, and go on your merry way. That you may look at someone's decisions in life. Maybe they're uh, a relationship. Maybe if, uh, even finances. Or maybe something with their health. Whatever the mess might entail. And you want to act like you didn't see it, you didn't notice it, and you just want to head in the other direction. Well, the Apostle Paul actually addressed this specifically. This idea of others' messes. And we've been unpacking the, the letter, the book of 1 Corinthians and the New Testament scriptures um, after Jesus, after the start of the early church. And we've been unpacking this letter that Paul was writing to warn the, the Christians in Corinth, right? He had started this church and left them. Four years later, he gets word that there's all these things going awry. And he, he writes this letter to warn them as his spiritual children. And it's out of concern. And last week we talked about how he's talking about out of his love, right? If you're concerned about somebody, it's because you love them. Your concern expressed out of love. And he had been the founder of this church, remember. He heard that they were divided, that there were all these crazy things going back, going on, and they were resorting back to old behaviors and old patterns, drawn back into those things of their old life. And he begins to correspond, and the first four chapters are his correspondence, the initial letter, and he was about to sign that letter and send it off, and sending his, his friend Timothy, his protege, to go forth and go to Corinth and model new beha that behavior. But in the middle of his writing, he gets some more disturbing news. Imagine that. He gets more disturbing news. The Corinthians, they were characterized by arrogance and immaturity, We've talked about that the last couple weeks. But now, as baby Christians, as infant Christians, now it, it's basically like having loaded diapers. <laughs> like there's a lot of crap that's going on right now. It's getting even messier. So the question for today, before we dive into the scripture, 
I want to allow this to marinate for a minute, to, to soak in, to kind of steep a little bit like sweet tea. And the question is this, what is the loving course of action if we see someone doing something harmful to themselves or destructive to others, especially the church? What's the loving course of action if we see someone doing harmful to themselves or destructive to others, and especially the church? So think on that. And this is just a little disclaimer today. Um, if you're not a follower of Christ, um, you're off the hook this message really doesn't apply to you. You can listen in and kind of see what the crazy Christians do and what they believe and that kind of thing. But this is addressed specifically to the church, to those who are following Christ. So we're going to start in uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. So this is what Paul says. Get ready for this, guys. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Ooh, and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I've already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So much warm and fuzzy stuff in there today, right? Aren't you glad you came to church? This is fantastic. But, but let's look at what Paul is saying here, what he's dealing with in the church. And, and the first thing we have to realize, though, is that he deals with it. He addresses it. And, and we have to realize that not addressing the mess helps nobody. When we fail to address a mess, it's helpful to absolutely no one. And imagine that Paul, he was already struggling with division in the church. He was already struggling with how they were picking leaders, who's better, and all that jazz. And now this. And the, the Greek word they use here is pornea. Pornea, from which we get words like pornography, right? It's just out of whack stuff that he's talking about, and he can't believe what he's hearing. He's saying, the Romans are nuts. The Romans at that time, they were doing everything and anybody with everybody. And he says, the Romans are nuts, but even they thought that this act is wrong, right? A man sleeping with his father's wife. This is like, the, the low bar is very low. <laughs> and this is crazy. But it's not just their action. It's their attitude. It's their attitude that they're proud of this. Imagine that, being proud of sexual escapades, right? We don't have anything like that today. But the thing is, the man is okay with it. He's more than okay with it. He's not hiding it. And everybody in the church is okay with it. It was kind of public knowledge. And they did absolutely nothing about it or addressed it. But we see that Paul has a major problem with this. See, there, there comes a point in time that, that something has to be addressed and confronted. But of course, our usual reaction, though, is to do what? Right? Ignore it. I don't see it, I don't want to deal with it, I want to go the other way, walk away. And we tend to ignore others' messes uh, for kind of three main reasons. The first being that they're inconvenient. They're inconvenient, we're, we're too busy to handle it, it's too much work. The second is they make us uncomfortable. There's that C word, conflict, right, that could result from that. Uh, we, we tend to work in life towards things of comfort. 
We want our jobs to lead us to a place of comfort. We want to be comfortable financially. We want to be comfortable in our home life, in, in our family life, even in church. We always are tending to work towards comfort. So it makes us uncomfortable when we see someone else's mess. But then the third piece is that we can't control them. And, and that's something that's really hard for us that are control freaks and we want everything to be in place and we want to know what the outcome is. But we know that looking at someone else's mess, we might not be able to control what happens or how they react. But Paul dares to address it. He dares to address it. And, and he's saying instead of being proud, He's saying, you guys should be grieving about that this is going on in your midst. Like, even, the Romans don't even do this. The bar is low for them, and yet you're acting this way. And imagine, he uses this word, judgment. He passes judgment on them, which we usually, our gut reaction is to say, hey, now, thou shalt not judge, right? Paul, don't judge, right? But what Paul is doing is actually reiterating what Jesus said. So we're going to look at two scriptures real quick. First being Matthew 7. So, and this is one that we quote all the time. We say, well, I'm not judging nobody, right? Well, let's continue the, the scripture here, the scripture passage, where Jesus is talking about the standard that's being used in judging. Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. So period, right? And that's where we usually stop. We just quote that part, but keep going. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. He's not saying don't judge at all. He's saying in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. So pay attention here. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, then then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do you guys get that? You're driving with me? He's not saying don't judge at all, like period, all, end of story. He's saying first you've got to do these things. And the word that's used here, crino, it means to judge. It also means to distinguish, to pick out, to be opinions. So get the speck, the sawdust, judging. There's kind of this play on words that's happening here. See, Jesus isn't saying don't judge your brother at all. It, it, what he's saying here is don't have a double standard. And that when you do make a judgment, make sure that you're looking at yourself first. That, that it's wisdom to check yourself first. But we're still called to handle the speck in the other person's eye. It's first, no, look at your own first so that you can see more clearly. But also to know that the grace or severity that you hand out to someone else is also what you should expect to receive. Don't we tend to do the opposite? You know, I want to be super severe, but oh, no, don't question me. Don't do that. He's saying, no, keep those things equal. But it's also about the way we do it, about the way that we confront someone else's mess. And, and Jesus talks about this in Matthew 18. Paul is alluding to this. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. These are all red letters, by the way. If you have a Bible, this is, these are words of Jesus. 
This is about relational management within the body of Christ and that there's a process. And I would dare say, this is a great process to follow personally. The first thing, to take it directly to the person that it involves. Don't run to a third party. Don't run to Facebook or Twitter. Go right to them. Go right to that person. And, and I have to say, like, as a pastor, sometimes I get that too, is people come to me and they're like, hey, do you know about so-and-so and what they're doing? Like, hey, you know what? Go to them first. Have you talked to them? Because I've realized that in my best interest and I want to get involved and help and be helpful, I wind up making things totally messier when I jump in. And maybe that's your experience too. It becomes a little triangle, and then before you know it, you got a hexagon, and then before you know that, you got whatever goes beyond those, those shapes and that kind of thing. But, but that's the thing. It's just go directly to the person first. And then... Then if, if there's no reconciliation there, if the person, hey, there's nothing wrong, there's no, then go and bring in an unbiased third party. See, Jesus is describing kind of like a troubleshooting flow chart, right? If this happens, then do this, right? If no, then go here. If yes, then go here. And he's saying, <clears throat> work through the body. Work through the body. But, you know, guys, the purpose, though, of all this is always towards reconciliation, not condemnation. Reconciliation. That's the goal. The goal is to reconcile that person. And he's saying that within the body, there's a point and a process for addressing the mess and addressing correction. But redemption has to be in mind the whole way along. And then we go back to Paul. So he's alluding to these two things here in our, in our judgment. So that judgment is not wrong to do, but imagine, look at yourself first and use the same measure to look at others in that. And then if there is an issue, go to that party first, one-on-one, -on -one, before you go to her or him or them. And, and so Paul, he says this in verse 4, he says, So when you are assembled... And I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord Jesus is present. You ready for this one? Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. That's a little bit to say that Paul is a little bit perturbed here. And who does he say to hand him over to? Satan. So I hope nobody's got this printed on a quilt on your, in your home or mantle you know that's one for the books right it's a little extreme right like whoa, whoa whoa paul like calm down buddy like you know this is a little bit crazy but but the reason why paul is saying this is that this person is choosing to follow the adversary already he's not being he's not saying oh well then go he's already following he's saying basically let him do let him have his own his own way there and see where it leads See, sometimes when we're facing a mess, we have to hand someone over for consequences. Sometimes we try to be the Savior. Sometimes we try to be Jesus. We try to save someone from, from what they're going through. And maybe you've done that, but the hard thing is sometimes we have to allow pain and suffering from decisions for people to realize them. And then to get free from that, which will end up destroying them. It's a hard word. I don't think Paul wanted to say this at all. But then he continues. He says, your boasting is not good. He's talking about the boasting here, being proud of this. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast. 
so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. I think the second thing he points out here is that not addressing the mess can affect everybody, just like yeast. When you don't address the mess, it winds up having ripples. It affects others. It goes beyond that contained part. And so he uses this yeast illustration. So it's an allusion back to Passover, the Passover meal that the Jews would have celebrated. And part of the Passover tradition, as you're getting ready for the Passover holiday and celebration, um, of the father of the household, as the household's getting ready to, to celebrate Passover, uh, right before it starts, the father will take a feather and a dustpan and actually go around the house. It's kind of like spring cleaning. These are some ancient pictures, actually, that depict this. They'll go around the house and sweep up every little bit, every little bit that there could be a particle of yeast, anywhere that anything that can, that can have leaven in it that would be part of the bread could be. And then he usually recruits the children to be a part of it, and it's a whole fiasco, and they go through the house, and they search. And so, so that's kind of the picture that he's describing here. Uh, that you need to purify the home. And he's saying, basically, don't mess with even just a little bit. Don't mess with just a little bit. Because you know what happens to a little bit? A little bit still leavens the whole bread. And it's the same thing with, with our messes and actions. It reminds me of a time uh, several years ago when I was um, baking a cake with my mom at home. I think it was like right before the holidays. And um, we were going through, we had like the rec little recipe book and we're going through. And um, do you believe that there is a difference between baking soda and baking powder? Who knew, right? It's just a teaspoon, just a teaspoon. You know what that cake tastes like? Like awful, right? And imagine, it was just a little teaspoon. Like in the whole cake, like, I mean, there were cups and cups of flour and sugar, like, but just a little teaspoon ruined the entire cake. A little bit goes a long way. But, but keep that comparison, just a little bit. Just one thing can affect everyone. And if you've ever worshipped in a church that's had a moral failure, you know this. You know this, that one person's actions can affect everyone and make even people walk away from church and walk away from God. And I, I had a friend that this happened to, um, a church that I was uh, working with doing some ministry stuff in Canada. And I have to say, the, it, devastating, devastating, how one person's actions can affect the whole body. And, and any family, any family knows this too, that one person's behavior or mess affects the whole family. It's never an isolated incident. One person may say, well, my decisions, what I do is, and it never remains with you. I know that one suicide affects many people. One illness or addiction affects so many people. They, they impact and destroy relationships and families. Nothing is unattached. But then we talk about the things that, that we're choosing. There's always ripples, even if you don't think about it or realize it or even believe it, there's always ripples to others. And let me say this, especially, especially messes that involve sex. It gets really ugly. And maybe you've experienced that, but whenever sex is involved, it even has greater ripples that happen. And so Paul is saying here, he wants us to know that they're damaging themselves and the body of Christ. They're damaging themselves and the body of Christ. 
You know, you may think, okay, well, you know, one little affair won't hurt. Guess what? It will. You know, one little act here. No, no, no. It will. One little look here. Yeah, guess what? It will. It will. That they're damaging themselves. We damage ourselves and the body of Christ. And he says, then, therefore, let us keep the festival. He's talking about Passover. Not with the old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That we address the mess for the sake of many. For the sake of many. That you're part of the body. And what you do affects other parts of the body. It affects relationships. It affects all of us. But the big question is, the one that I wrestle with is, then how do you do that? How do you do that without making a bigger mess? And I think the key here is boundaries. Boundaries. Addressing the mess without boundaries won't protect anyone. And Paul continues, verses 9 to 11. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate the first letter. This is actually 2 Corinthians, but it's really first. We, so anyway, it's very confusing. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all. Meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy. An idolater or sander, a drunkard or swindler, do not even eat with such people. He's saying that this, this idea here, right, this is not a lullaby. <laughs> uh, he, he's saying, he, he, you know, that, that there's an effect that happens on us. When people that are unrepentant or do not turn from their ways, um, he's already told them. He sent a first letter and address these issues. And this is the second time he has to do this. And, and he's saying, do not associate. And he's not being mean here. The thing is, he knew the Corinthians' specific weakness. Their specific weakness. Because if you didn't know, there were many temples all in Corinth. And many of the temples had involved these worship to all these different gods. One of them being the goddess Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And guess what they did in their worship services with the goddess of love? Lots of crazy, crazy stuff. And they had prostitutes, about a thousand of them, that were part of this. And people, actually families, would sell their daughters and, and some of their sons into sexual slavery at these temples. And that was their, part of their, their culture and what they were used to. And so he's saying this because he knew their weakness. He knew where they were weak and where their struggle was. And so just being a part of one person and one this, he knew that they'd be drawn right back into that behavior. So think about that for a second. Do you know your weakness? That just one little bit, like I said, one little crumb can do you in? You know, what's your tendency? It may be food, it may be alcohol, it may be relationships, but honestly, those things that you're, you're gonna be drawn into, but what's going to protect you and them is hard and fast boundaries with those things. And being very clear on those boundaries. And saying, you know what? Like, okay, if I struggle with this, I'm not going to have any of it in the house. Because I know I can't deal with one drop or one crumb of it. Or, hey, you know what? I really struggle with, with relationships. Well, guess what? You might just have to take a break from dating for a while. I've known people that that's the, that was the healthiest boundary for them to do. Um, but even if you think about some of the other things that we struggle with, that we know our weakness, do you, do you like to gossip? You, know, you like to hear all the juicy stuff. Well, guess what? The next time somebody comes to you, you just turn it right off. 
Don't even listen to a drop of it. But that's part of it. That's what's going to protect. That boundaries are healthy things. They're good things. They prevent us from adding to and contributing to the mess. Like I said, this part of the letter is not a lullaby. This is not all nice and cuddly and cute. But then Paul wraps up here and he says, what business of it is mine to judge those outside the church? This is really important. Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. See, he's not talking about the world here. And he has this disclaimer. He's not talking about unbelievers. He's also not saying just create your own little bubble here. I mean, even in our area, you know, do you believe that the Amish also have issues? They've created their own little bubble of, of worship and you know, only associating. But guess what? There's a lot of stuff that goes on there too. But he's saying, don't judge the world. Don't we spend so much time doing that? Don't Christians spend so much time doing that? Saying the world is going to hell in a handbasket, right? We say it all the time. We kind of have that superiority. Oh, well, we're just like better than that. I mean, but think of this crazy stuff going on in Paul's day and the crazy stuff going on in Corinth. And yet he says, you have no business to judge anybody outside. They're going to do what they're going to do. That's going to be a totally different story. And, and so with us, you know, isn't it interesting that when we look at the, the history of the big C church throughout the world, it's interesting that the times that the church and pe- many people came to faith, the times that the church and history expanded were when the church lived on the margins of society, when society itself was at its worst, even in the places around the world. Because, you know why? Because it was attractive that the Christians didn't judge anybody else. They just lived their lives in a different way, and people were like, wow, that's a lot different. Like, they don't abuse people. Like, okay, wow. Like, what, they, the children that are thrown out to the street, the women that are widows, like, they take them in. What's with that, right? I mean, that was what made the church so attractive. The church would model it. But it starts within. It starts in us to address the messes that we encounter. And I think that's why it's important for us to note, address a mess but not every mess. Address a mess, but not every mess. A, not every. And this is for each of us. I'm preaching to myself here. See, some of us have problems with A, and some of us have problems because we're always about every. We, some of us don't want to be a part of A, but then others of us, oh, we want to do every mess. I want to jump into her and help him and be a part. No, A, not every Because you know what happens? We burn out. Or you make a mess of your life or your family's life, or you get into something that you're not supposed to. See, God's not asking us to boil the ocean here. But there are people relationally that are entrusted to your care. And sometimes it is that little nudge, that little tap on the shoulder to say, okay, this this is someone. This is someone that you're called to help and be a part of. And messes get worse the longer we wait, the more we put them off. And our reaction should be the question, what can I do to help? What can I do to help you? The loving thing, Paul's saying approach it from the loving standpoint, go to that person, have the hard conversation, but also don't abandon them there and say, well, you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this. No, guess what? You're a part of it now, so you need to join in the cleanup. You need to walk alongside that person 
and what's going on. And you know what's interesting? This whole situation, the man who's in this incestual relationship and all that, you know what's interesting? You know what happens to the man? We do know what happens to him, by the way. Just being cast into the lot of Satan is not the end of the story. 2 Corinthians 2 actually tells us he's restored. He's restored. And you want to know why? Because Paul dared to address it. Paul dared to address it and enter into a process. All because he didn't ignore his mess. And I think that goes for many of our stories. You know, aren't there times you look back on and aren't you glad that somebody didn't ignore your mess? That they had the guts to come to you, whether a friend or family member, and then maybe walk you through that process? So back to that question that we started out with. What is the loving course of action if we see someone doing something harmful to themselves or destructive to others, especially the church? I think the answer is don't walk away. Don't walk away from the mess. As hard as it is, as inconvenient it is, as, as you can't control what the outcome will be, we're all going to be messy as long as we're human. But you know what that means? That means even more so we need Christ. We need Christ, and we need one another. It's the responsibility of the body. It's not fun, but it's necessary. And so when we don't walk away, we're entering into a deeper relationship with our brothers and sisters. We're entering into, actually into a deeper relationship to see God's redemptive power. If God could redeem this guy, he could redeem anybody, <laughs> right? We look to a God who creates out of chaos, but also a God whose goal is always restoration and resurrection. So my question to you is, will you walk away? Will you ignore the mess? Or will you dare to step in and to address it? And I think that's good news for all of us because like we said at the beginning of this series, we're all hot messes. <laughs> we're all in this. We're all a part of, oops, we don't have the little, can I get the pumpy pump? There we go. There we go. They're stopping here. Thank you. Um, but we're all a part of the mess. Thank you. We're all a part of the story and, and of redemption that God is in operation here. That we all have those times that we look back on that we can say, you know what? I'm so glad. I didn't want to hear it, but I'm so glad that he or she said something. I'm so glad that he or she came to me. Even though it took me two years, it took me 20 years to come back and to realize it. But we also recognize that there's grace. And that's the big part, is that God is a God of grace. He would have sent Jesus if he were otherwise. And so when Jesus came to this earth, he knew what it was like to encounter every temptation and every mess, every messy situation. He invited a group of messy disciples and all their stuff to walk with him, to learn from him, to grow with him and follow him. And that's good news. That's good news, that the story does not end with the mess. And that's an invitation to all of us, that as we come to the table, we lay before God our, our failures, our faults, our mistakes, and our messes, and we pick up grace. We receive grace. 